Pittsburgh Steelers fans, what's going on? This is Jeff Harbin, Senior Editor behind the Steelcurtain.com with you for another episode of Let's Ride. That's right, your Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning podcast. It is Monday. Happy Monday. I hope you had a great weekend. I know I did. A lot of sun, a lot of pool time. It's hot. I love it. Just got to get out and golf more, but I have a feeling that's coming up. Hope you had a great weekend as well, and we have a great show for you today. Just a reminder to keep tabs on all things Pittsburgh Steelers, both with BehindTheSteelCurtain.com as well as our podcast network. Make sure you're checking out Bad Language today at noon, as well as The Hangover uh, this this afternoon. If you want to watch it live on YouTube, just search us at BTSC Steelers Radio. Or on Facebook, just search Behind the Steel Curtain. You'll find us. We have over 110,000 followers there, and you can watch it there. Or just, as always, check it out on our audio platform wherever you get your podcast. But today's show for me is a I love having my Monday morning conversations with probably my favorite guest of all time. I've had him on this show more than anyone else, and that is one Christopher Carter of the Locked on Steelers podcast is going to join me. He has been at Steelers OTAs. He has been in the Steelers locker room, and he's going to give us a lot of insight about what's going on with the Steelers as they approach training camp at the end of July. We always start this show off with news if there has been any news, and this weekend has been a quiet one for the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's a good thing but not necessarily in the AFC North. Let me explain. The Cleveland Browns and the Deshaun Watson situation continue to get murkier and murkier in terms of what's about to happen. It was announced on Saturday that on Tuesday, the disciplinary hearing with the NFL and Deshaun Watson will be taking place. This could take a couple days, and then an uh, outside um, arbitrator, so to speak, will take a look at things. It could go back to Roger Goodell. We're not anywhere close to having anything definite on Deshaun Watson and his situation and his legal troubles. But I will tell you this, that there are rumors, there are sources, and these are not just people on Twitter with a blue check mark. And we're talking about the Wall Street Journal. We're talking about some very legitimate people that have some inside information on the league stating that the league could be doing something they've never done before. And that is Not just give Deshaun Watson a year-long suspension, but potentially an indefinite suspension. Well, what does that mean? That means that what they could be doing is saying, okay, Deshaun Watson, you're definitely done this year, but there's no end for this suspension. There is no, well, after how many games or this... The reason why the NFL might go with the indefinite suspension is that they are trying to protect themselves. They're trying to protect their brand from another case being made against Deshaun Watson. And when you think about other suspensions, not just Ben Roethlisberger back in 2010, but Calvin Ridley getting suspended for an entire year because of gambling on the team or gambling on the NFL when he was injured. When you see something like that and you see what's going on with Deshaun Watson, you just have to wonder what the NFL's approach is going to be. And from all cases, all reports that I should say that all reports being made is that this is going to be a very significant suspension and it could be unprecedented in the National Football League. This is obviously something that Pittsburgh Steelers fans, as well as other teams in the AFC North and the AFC, are going to be keeping a close eye on. And I will try to keep you up to date with that on my Let's Ride podcast, again, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning. But that's not what I wanted to spend the whole show talking about. No one wants to hear about the Browns for that amount, that length of time. 
I want to talk about someone who's extremely exciting to watch. And shockingly, a lot of people aren't really talking about him too much as the 2022 season begins. And I really don't know why. And that would be one Trent Jordan Watt. Now, if you don't know, that's TJ Watt. But TJ Watt, and this all stems from the Thursday show, the Steelers preview that I do with myself, Dave Schofield, and Brian Davis, was on the show. And I had started off the show just asking them, do you all root for players still? Do you find yourselves pulling for certain players over others? We all want the Steelers to succeed, but at your age and what you do with the website, do you find yourself still having that, I guess, notion to want to think, man, that's, I really root hard for that guy to succeed. And we talked about players like Cam Hayward and uh, Najee Harris was brought up, but no one said TJ Watt. It's not that we don't love TJ Watt. And I talked about how TJ Watt off the field is kind of bland and that's, that's fine, and he's not as a flashy guy. I wouldn't even say he's as flashy as his brother JJ. He seems like he's very private, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. But it got me thinking about TJ Watt. And this guy's coming off a defensive player of the year season. Does it get more impressive than that for an individual outside of winning a most valuable player of the league or winning a Super Bowl? And the answer, I don't think, I think is no. That those are probably the highest accolades you could get the highest accolade you could get for a defender outside of again mvp or super bowl champion and so here he is coming off of tying the nfl's record 22 and a half sacks in a single season defensive player of the year no one's talking about him no one's talking about him. well i'm going to talk about him a lot here in the first half of this show and the one thing that i keep on thinking about when i look back at tj watt's statistics he was drafted in 2017 When I look back at TJ Watt's career, the one thing that is noticeable is that no matter what, he always improves every single season. We've seen it. We've witnessed it with our own two eyes. It makes me ask the question, can we expect TJ Watt to continue to improve? In other words, is this going to be, at what point in his career is the production going to plateau or level off it's not that there's not going to be good years and bad years but at what point will the he is skyrocketing northward at what point will he go more east and west and less north and south that's a question that we all want to know i have honestly been waiting for this to happen the last few years i'm glad it hasn't don't get me wrong trust me i'm so unbelievably happy that tj watt was the steelers first round pick in that 2017 draft class but you do have to wonder. So what I did is I did some digging. And this stems from my letter to the my letter from the editor, which runs every Sunday morning on BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. And I just took a look at his 2020 statistics. Then I went back and looked at his whole career, focusing on key metrics. Here are the metrics that I looked up. Games played in that particular season, because I think that's very important. Past defenses, forced fumbles, fumble recoveries, sacks, tackles for losses, and quarterback hits. Those were the categories that I decided to look for. So in 2021, he played in 15 games. Remember, he had those that nagging groin injury, which seemed to last for a while. He ended up with seven pass defenses, five forced fumbles, three fumble recoveries. We talked about the 22 and a half sacks, 21 tackles for loss, and 39 quarterback hits. Yeah, that sounds like a defensive player of the year season to me. But then you go back to 2020, there were some people that thought he played even better in 2020. He played in 15 games there as well. 
seven pass defenses, only two forced fumbles, no fumble recoveries, 15 sacks, 23 tackles for losses, which is an uptick from 2021, and 41 quarterback hits, which is, again, higher than it was in 2021. Go back to 2019. This is where, the, to me, the 2017 is rookie season where he finished with seven sacks, 10 tackles for loss, and 13 quarterback hits. Then you look at 2018, uh, you know, 13 sacks, so he goes from 10 to 13, 12 quarterback hits, and 21, I'm sorry, 21 quarterback hits, 12 tackles for loss. That was in 2018. 2019, the sacks go up from 12 to 12 to 14 and a half. The tackles for losses go up to 14. Quarterback hits go from 21 to 36. He's starting to get into his groove, and then we know what happens in 2020. We just talked about that. Sacks go up a little bit to 15, but the tackles for losses, the quarterback hits go all the way up to 41. So I'm starting to think now, what can Steeler fans expect from TJ Watt next season? Well, I decided before I looked at projections, I wanted to see what in the world has happened with some of these players that have recorded over 20 sacks the following year. So I went back to 2000. Some players that had 20 or more sacks, what did they do the following season? It was pretty shocking, to be honest with you. So in 2001, Michael Strahan finished with 22 and a half sacks. That was, at the time, the NFL record. We know that T.J. Watt has since tied Michael Strahan. In 2002, Michael Strahan only had 11 sacks in 16 games. I mean, if I would have told you that he went from 22 and a half to 11, you probably would have thought that he was hurt. He wasn't. Played in 16 games. So then we go to 2008. DeMarcus Ware. DeMarcus Ware finished with 20 sacks even. In 2009, 11 sacks in 16 games. Let's continue. 2011, Jared Allen with 22 sacks. I didn't even remember that he had that many sacks in a season. But the followed up in 2012, 12 sacks in 16 games. In 2012, J.J. Watt had 20 and a half sacks. 2013, J.J. Watt had 10 and a half in 16 games. Now this next one, J.J. Watt's done this twice. He has 20 sacks in 2014. His 2015 season, he had 17 and a half. That is the best mark so far, and really that I saw, that I noticed when I looked up these statistics. The 17 and a half follow-up the next season is the best by far. In 2014, they had two players that had over 20 sacks. The other was Justin Houston. He had 22 sacks. In 2015, he finished with seven and a half, but only 11 games. Aaron Donald in 2018 did it, 20 and a half sacks. In 2019, 12 and a half sacks in 16 games. So I this is really interesting stuff when you when you look at it. And if you want to see this more in the you know looking at it and not just hearing it, go check out the article. I have all these statistics and data put it put in there for the letter from the editor and that ran like I said Sunday morning. That's when my letter from the editor always runs on behindthesteelcurtain.com. But the one thing you kind of have to think about is how are the how's the opposition handling these specific players the following year? And so what I mean is when you think about J.J. Watt in 2012, he gets 20 and a half sacks. Well, every single team is going to be scheming to stop him. And so this is going to put some pressure on other players on this Steelers team to have to do it. You had to think about even Aaron Donald in 2018. Where was his help? When everyone is saying we're going to stop Aaron Donald, someone else has to win their matchup. And in the case of the Pittsburgh Steelers, when you look at the 2022 season, when you 
you have to assume, and look, let, let's also be honest here. And this was something a commenter pointed out in the article, and I appreciate them for doing that, that in 2020, TJ Watt followed up a 15 sack season with a 22 and a half sack season. So it is possible that Watt continues to steamroll through the opposition, but you have to feel like at some point, offenses are going to say, when we play the Steelers defense, any one of those guys can beat us, but not TJ Watt. And if they do that, Alex Highsmith, Cam Hayward, Tyson Alualu, maybe even the inside linebackers of Miles Jack, Devin Bush, anyone else that's blitzing up the middle. Someone else is going to have to win, and they're going to have to be dominant. And I'm, I guarantee you that if you ask TJ Watt, would you mind if someone else may, did the brunt of the damage in terms of the sack department? He'd say, as long as we win, I don't care. If he's a major distraction that's drawing two, three players every single time the ball snapped, and that means that Alex Highsmith gets to double-digit sacks on a season, that's fine. The team is still succeeding. So there's going to be some pressure on other players. And you have to think about Watt now playing alongside a different defensive line. You know, there's no to it there. You have Larry. He's there. Uh, you got Chris Wormley still there. Isaiah Loudermilk. There could be a lot of moving pieces on the defensive front. He's going to have to play well with them. He's going to have to make sure that they are all one cohesive unit. So what I decided to do is I took a look at 2022, and I tried to think of the same statistics but asked myself, what would would it look like if T.J. Watt's sack numbers went down, but most would say that he improved. He still improved on last season because I think that is possible. I think it's possible for T.J. Watt's sack numbers to go down a little bit but to still show that he is dominant and that he is a complete player. He is not a, as Mike Tom would say it, a one-trick pony. So here's what I did. I am hoping, fingers crossed, knock on wood, that he plays T.J. Watt in 17 games in 2022. What about pass defenses? Last year he had seven. I have it going up to nine. T.J. Watt's smart enough that if he can't get home, if he's in the vision, the you know the line of sight with the quarterback, I think he's going to get his paws on some footballs. I think nine is not realistic. That would be plus two from 2021. What about forced fumbles? Believe it or not, his career high is eight in a season. I think he bests that by one, but he goes to nine. That would be four more than last season. Again, if TJ Watt's not getting to the quarterback, he has to impact the play in other ways. Give him nine. That's plus four, and it would be a career high. Fumble recoveries, these are a crapshoot, but sometimes you just have to have a nose for the football. TJ Watt sometimes has that. I'm going to go with five. That would be two more than last season and also a career high. With sacks, what is a decline from 22 and a half? I don't see, if there is a dip, I don't see this dip being drastic. I don't be, see it being a precipitous fall off a cliff. I think that if anything, I would say minus five from last season, he would still record 17 and a half sacks. Think about that. If you have five less sacks in the previous year and 17 and a half sacks, that would be remarkable. And I think everyone would still be very, very happy if he's able to record 17 and a half. Tackles for losses, I have it going up four to 25. That would be a career high. And quarterback hits, have it going up 3 to 42, would also be a career high. So this is, I mean, let's be, let me make something very clear here before I wrap this the first half up. Could I foresee TJ Watt going into 2022 and just breaking everything? I mean, 25 sacks, setting a new mark, dominating, 
absolutely. I'm not stupid. I've watched this guy continue to improve since 2017. And even though I'm sitting here talking about a potential dip in some statistics, there is no way, if he stays healthy, that I foresee his play falling off a cliff. It might look different, but if it works and it's effective, I think it's fine. However, if he goes out and just continues to keep the foot on the gas pedal, I wouldn't be shocked at all. I would be ecstatic. I'm 100% here for that. And it could be another defensive player of the year type season for TJ Watt. So just some numbers for you there. I'm not trying to turn all stat geeky on you. That's Dave Schofield's job every Thursday morning. But I will say that I hope you're looking forward to the second half of this show because Chris Carter is going to come in and we're going to talk about all things black and gold. And we'll be doing that right after this break. Stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. Pittsburgh Steelers fans, it is Monday, the second half of the Let's Ride podcast, which means it's the Monday morning conversation. I bring back Christopher Carter, my old friend. CC, what's up? What's up, Jeff? How you doing? I'm doing great, man. And before we even get started, you are in a new place right now, and that is you are in a new. I, I man, you probably wear you wear so many different hats. Why don't you tell everyone <laughs> where they can find your stuff outside of the Locked On Steelers podcast, which is still a thing? Go yes. ahead and tell everyone where they can find you. Uh, SteelersNow.com. I joined the Pittsburgh Sports Now Network, uh, which we run the SteelersNow.com. I joined Alan Saunders, Nick Faribault, Kale Berger, a bunch of there's a lot of people that we have there. Um, but it's fun because it gives me, it lets me focus on the Steelers. Uh, you know, before I wrote for Pitt football and Pitt basketball and then the Steelers uh, for DK Pittsburgh Sports. And not that I don't like Pitt basketball because those are a lot of fun. Uh, but this gives me a chance to put all my, my focus into the Steelers, uh, you know, with that and my podcast. So it's it's been great. You know, I got to go in and, you know, cover mini camp and, uh, and, and OTAs. And I, it was my first time ever this year going into the Steelers practice locker room. I've been in the, the, the gate, the Heinz field locker rooms after games, but I had never, you know, been in to talk to guys and just hang around after practice and just see how guys are doing day to day. So that was a lot of fun. We did a lot of great interviews. I've been writing about those interviews and uh, yeah, it's been awesome. And uh, Jeff, as I always tell people, if you're a person who wants to get into writing about the Steelers, Behind the steel curtain is where I got my start. So y'all better if you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh man, how can I do that? You start by working hard and getting getting yeah. in with BTSC and get a partner up with Jeff. He'll help you. There you go. And that we had Alan, I had Alan on my Monday morning conversation. It was probably about three weeks ago. Phenomenal mm-hmm. interview about talking about OTAs. We're gonna get into all that. It was hard for me to think about when the last time I had you on the show, and it was actually after the NFL draft. We were talking yeah. about Kenny Pickett, we were talking about the draft class. So much has happened. So much has changed since then. And I want to kind of get your thoughts on several topics related to the Steelers. And the first one is, well, Stefan Tua retires. We know that that's old news. However, mm-hmm. I want to ask you what your thoughts are on the Steelers and the defense being prepared to replace him more so than they were in 2021, when obviously they were maybe expecting him back and he never did return. What are your thoughts on what the Steelers have done so far in the Omar Khan era? I mean, I, I think that I think they've had a strong start. For one, mentally, they were already going to be better prepared because I still think this year they were they were thinking he was going to come back, Jeff. Like if they when when he first retired, there were some people who said, "Oh, he's done. He's never coming back," or they knew he was never coming back. And I'm like, 
if they were, they would have done something else. There would have been more aggressive moves in free agency. There would have been more aggressive moves in the draft. I think that they would have altered their plan a bit. And to me, that is evidenced by them going to sign Larry Ogunjobi because that shows me that if they they wanted, they, once he was not there, they wanted another body to take that place. Um, and Larry Ogunjobi, you know, I don't think he's going to have the physical dominating presence that Tuit had when he was at his best because Tuit was the guy that could eat up a double team and still make a play at times. Uh, but Ogan Joby's a pass rusher. He, I think he's he's good against the run when he's one on one with a, with an offensive lineman. When the double teams come, that's when I think he he likes has to learn how to mitigate those situations a little bit better to keep the linebackers behind him clean. But I mean, he's a, he's more than a capable replacement. Um, and I, I think the key thing is that you're going to now have a rotation of guys and that's where they're going to be healthier at. And that's where to be better suited because last year you saw when Tua was down and then when Alu went down. Wormley had to step up and then they had to rotate Wormley a lot. He had some injuries. And then you had games where I, they allowed him was getting a lot of snaps. Henry Mondo was getting a lot of snaps and you're sitting there like, Oh man, this is rough. And that led to a lot of the run defense problem. But now you have, you still have cam, you got Tyson, you got Ogan Joby, you drafted Leal, you brought back Montrevious Adams, you still got Chris Wormley, you have a more experienced and more prepared Isaiah Loudermilk, who has jacked up and jacked himself up a little bit. And you start, that still doesn't account for the Davis twins or anyone else that you have back there. So you the Steelers have a much, I think, a much better rotation this year to deal with depth, even if there's one or two injuries at the top of the list. I mean, I get to go back to something you said very right when you started talking about the topic, which was you didn't think the Steelers were prepared or thinking that he was not going to come back. That's evident. I mean, look at what Cam yeah. Hayward said the first week of phase three of OTAs. He said, mm-hmm. he's going to be back. I'm excited to have him back. And next thing you know, he retires and then Cam's having to eat his words and saying, you know, I, I don't give a damn what people think. And, and, you know, I, whatever. It's because he, they just found out. Yeah. <laughs> they just found out. So, yeah, you're right. The Steelers didn't know. There's no way they knew. But I, I do think that they've kind of pieced some th- things together. You bring up the defensive line group. It's so deep. There's so many bodies there. We're assuming they're keeping seven. Like, we're, we're assuming they're keeping I, seven. I am. Yeah. I am, too. My, I'm, but if they were to go with six, I asked this uh, on Friday, just kind of pose this question to the listeners. If they were going to just keep six, though, who do you think's the odd man out? It depends on how they, they want to work it. You know, you assume they're keeping Cam, they're keeping Tyson, they're right. keeping Leal, they're keeping Wormley, uh, and now they're keeping Ogan Joby. So there's, there's, there's five right there. So, so you think you, Wormley is a lock? I, I think Wormley's a lock simply because he's a veteran that they're going to be able to rely upon. Okay. Um, even if he's not the starter, he's going to be one of the first guys off the bench. Um, and I think paired with a Leal type of situation, he would work really, he would work really well. Um, you know, because again, the guy got seven sacks last year. Yeah. You don't just you don't throw away a, a defensive lineman who got seven sacks. Now, granted, he has to work on his run defense, and I think the part of that he was a little nicked up last year that kind of slowed him down uh, from being the best that he wanted to be. Um, but you know, then you're there's there's your five. So now you have a decision between uh, excuse me a decision between the Davis twins, Loudermilk, or Adams. And in that situation, I think that they would shoot if they went with six, they would take Loudermilk because. To, uh, Adams is a guy they picked up off the practice squad last year. And it's like, hey, you know, they like what he did. They liked what he brought to the table. But Loudermilk, his size, his athleticism, what they, what the frame that they're filling him in to be is like a Brett Kiesel type, you know, guy down the line who will be a low draft pick that just becomes a, a good starter that they didn't have to pay a whole lot to 
get. So, um, but I, again, I think they're keeping seven yeah. because they see, hey, last year, and they, they've done this before where there, there used to be a time when they kept five receivers on the depth chart. And then there was 2016 when they, when Antonio Brown was the only receiver and Martavis Bryant was suspended, Marcus Wheaton was hurt, Sammy Coates' hands was broken, and they were down to Darius Hayward Bay and Eli Rogers and, uh, I forget his name. Number 83. He was running 83 at the time. Alex Kobe, something. Kobe Hamilton. Kobe Hamilton. Kobe Hamilton. I was calling yeah. Alex Hamilton. But um, <laughs> point being, when, when that happened, they switched their philosophy and said, we're keeping six receivers because we're never letting right. that happen again. I think last year was the defensive line version of that. where they are like, man, we're not letting that happen again with this group. Uh, you know, un- unless they get, unless Ogan Joby turns into like a star starter for them and, and is a guy that they feel like they can rely on for the near future. I think they're going to be like, Hey, we're going to protect this position in this group because this is very important for who we need to be. We're going to, we, the Steelers need to be a team that stuffs the run gets after the passer and is a more complete defense. And they can invest more in that now that they're not paying for Ben Roethlisberger every year. If they have a good rotation where they can keep Cam off the field for him to play as many snaps as he did last year, it's it's a good thing. It's a good spot yeah. to be for the Steelers' defensive front. I want to ask you about OTAs. You were there. You got to see it firsthand. Several questions about that. And before we get to the quarterbacks, because you know I'm going to ask you about the quarterbacks, Najee Harris. Everyone was talking about Najee Harris for a lot of reasons. Everyone's saying his physique. He, you know, he's 244 pounds. I, you were there personally. I can only go by videos and pictures I saw. The dude looks jacked out of his mind. I mean, he looks like if he put on any weight, it's pure muscle mass. And I feel like that guy, if he knows how to carry it, like he said, I know how to carry the weight, they'll be fine. But do you think they're kind of getting him ready to just take the abuse of another high volume season in terms of touches? Or do you think this is just him trying to get his body right and get his body in a way that he's not going to be dealing with the, the nicks, the bumps and the bruises, something that Pat Fryermy spoke about heading into year two. What are your thoughts on Najee Harris? I mean, for one, I, I want to point out, the body improvement, the body, you know, shaping, that was all him just from pure workouts. If you, if you listen to him or listen to anyone talk about Najee Harris, even in, in his Alabama days and post Alabama days before the draft would happen, he's all about the workouts. He's all about getting in the best shape of his life. So that football season comes and he's, you know, it's just, it's clockwork for him. And the, the idea of getting more muscled up and more toned, that was all his plan. Now he also clarified to us, he told us in the locker room, he said, Hey, you know, people thought I was 230 or whatever the, the number was. He's like, I was 242 last year. I'm 244 this year. I threw yeah. on two pounds. Like, it wasn't <laughs> like that. And, and and it's not like he's been eating cheeseburgers. Right. He, he, you know, th- this is a guy, he's cut. And he's, he's uh, the, you know, as Mark Caboli and I were joking around, like he was, he was like, man, Carter, if I wasn't a man, whew, uh, you, know, like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, he said, but like his calves were just huge. His, his, his quads. I was talking to Jenna Horner of channel 11 and she was just like two of my quads fit into his. I'm like, yeah, that's probably three of yours. Like, like, it's, like, that's how, that's how. And the thing is, is that he took, he added all of that, that muscle, all of that strength. And he looks fluid. Like you, and you watch him do the footwork drills, his feet are lightning. He's quick. He's, he, he's, He's explosive in every direction. He looks like he can take on anything. Now, he, he he also told us, the Steelers told him, we're not giving you the ball as much as we did last year. Last year was a necessity because we had some problems that we had to deal with. And I think it was just mainly like they knew they weren't going to be able to throw the ball deep because Ben's arm just wasn't made for that anymore. But this year, I think that they're trying, they're going to try to find ways to get balls to other, the ball to other guys so that he's not taking 381 touches. I still say 300 plus. You know, he'll, he'll be in that range. but. I do think there's going to be a step back in those, um, but the body transformation, nothing like transformation, body enhancement, I guess I would say that's all just him just 
doing what he thinks he needs to be to be the best running back he can be, which I think this year he's going to be an electric one. Do you see them adding a running back before the uh, before training camp, or at least if not training camp, the before the season begins, maybe when teams trim their rosters down? Do you see them adding a veteran at any point? I see them during training camp making the move. I, I think they want to trust their their running back room right now to give Benny Snell and Anthony McFarland and Caleb Lodge and all those guys. I think they want to take those guys to camp. Let's see how you do for a week or two. And then I think it'll be a Joe Schober type of situation where, like, you know, last year they they took they took Roberts playing the preseason. They, 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 they wanted to see how he was. They saw, okay, this is not going to work. And then they went and got a Joe Schobert type. And the thing is, is that this isn't nearly as pressing as a Robert Spillane situation because they needed Joe Schobert to start next to Devin Bush. Otherwise, it would have been even worse than it was last year at inside linebacker. This is a little different because now like this, this, this is the second running back. So it's important to get, you know, good spell, spell reps for Najee Harris. But, you know, you, you it, it's not as pressing. So I see Omar Khan and them. They, they got some – other priorities. I think they're going to re-sign Chris Boswell sooner rather than later. Um, I could see them. I, I, you know, I could see them trying to make some other moves, maybe bring in some other pieces, maybe some offensive line depth if they want to get that. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm not so sure it happens before training camp. I think it's a thing where they'll 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 go a week or two. They'll they'll put the pads on, do some backs on backers, and then you might see them make a move or a trade or wait for someone to get cut and say, "Hey, we're going to throw him in the lineup." But I mean, they can also. I talked about this in Locked On Steelers with Doran Dickerson on the Thursday episode of last week. Um, you know, he talked about you know a Justin Jackson, a, jo- a Jordan Howard. Those guys are still in free agency, and those are the type of vets like mid twenty, mid to like mid to like, you know, starting to get into your late twenties who have NFL starting experience and could be plugged in and probably play well for a couple of years. That's what they did with D'Angelo Williams. He was a yep. vet, came in, played for like two or three years. Good job, D'Angelo. I, I think they'll, they'll end up going in that direction when the time comes. All right. OTAs. Um, just let's talk about any, anything with the quarterback standout. I don't need to hear, you know, about the, the minutia. We'll put it that way. Did anything stand out with the quarterbacks that you saw during OTAs in any way, shape, or form? Sorry, say that again. I lost you fucking second. Oh, I'm sorry. The quarterbacks in OTAs. Oh, yeah. Did, did anything stand out to you in any way, shape, or form with the quarterbacks? And we don't need to dive into the minutiae. Just no, that's fine. What do you I, think? I, I thought the biggest thing, Trubisky looked smooth. Like he 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 looks like an NFL starting quarterback. And you you, you talk to guys that were working with him. that's what it was and i i think that there's a lot of people out there that you're if you're a pit fan or if you're just a fan of kenny pickett you want to see him start sooner rather than later i just don't see that happening unless mr trubisky gets hurt or he tanks when the pads go on or something like that i really see this being a situation where it's more so about mr trubisky is going to come in set the level and then kenny's going to have to rise to that level and then above that level at some point i don't know if that happens this season next season the season after that but mr trubisky is, is going to be your starter that's just what i see there but i like what i see out of that guys i even like what i saw out of mason he looks smooth and you know i think mark caboli pointed out he was like you know he's not out of this qe1 race and i i agreed i'm like you know i still don't make him my favorite i still don't even make him my second favorite but if I was to do percentages, I'd say like, you know, 45%, you know, Mitch Trubisky, you know, maybe like 25% uh, Kenny Pickett, another 25% or maybe I guess at the 30% and then 25%, uh, 30% Kenny Pickett, 25% Mason Rudolph. But I mean, this guy, he knows the playbook. He's smoother with it. Um, you know, I just wrote a piece about Honor Gunnar Olszewski, you know, and, and how on a, on a broken play in a two minute drill, they connected and Mason Rudolph was able to find him. And he was like, and it, it was a good moment for them. I, I think Mason is a little more ready to 
put up a fight in this QB battle than people give him credit for. Granted, I still think this ends up with him being QB2 or QB3, and the Steelers may be saying, like, okay, we're going to see what teams out there are hungry for a QB arm, and maybe we get returned for a fourth-round pick or, you know, or, or, or a pick swap that gets us a better position for next year. I, I think that could be in play, but I also think the Steelers might say, you know what, we just went through 2019 when Ben went down, and then we yeah. traded Josh, and then, we, and then Mason went down, and we got stuck with Devlin. I could totally see them being like, look, we we'll keep we'll keep all three of our of, of the guys we think could be in that competition for QB one, and we'll keep Chris Olatikin on the practice squad, and we'll just see how how that goes. But um, you know, I, I thought all three made names for themselves. Kenny Pickett. I mean, there were times where you saw the where, where you saw the Kenny Pickettness that I was saw at Pitt for years. Just the composure, the accuracy, the the understanding what's in front of him. Uh, and there were times where, like, yeah, the, the the game speed was catching up to him. And you and you saw like you know Cam Sutton had a day where he picked him off twice. And Cam was like, hey, like that dude's gonna be great. Like you know, the, I'm I'm a veteran. I pick up on these things. I study things and I, I know who he is and I practice against him every day. But I, I think each of them acquitted themselves well. But Mitch is going to be the starter. And I think Kenny is going to show a bit of stuff in this preseason that everyone's going to get a little excited about and say, like, oh, maybe he should be starting. And, and then we'll have that. We'll deal with that discussion. But the Steelers will put that to bed and you'll see Mitch get the start in week one. I'm here for that discussion. You are here for that discussion, yes, too. Indeed. Anyone that has to deal with content is there for this discussion. All right, I want to get your thoughts on this. So in the first half of the show, and this all stems from an article I wrote on Sunday on uh, my letter from the editor article, it's all about TJ Watt and expectations. Shockingly, the defensive player of the year in 2021 is really not being talked about too much. Everyone's talking about, well, all the other Steelers and even on the national media stage are talking about other defenders and the odds aren't in his favor. And when you look at his statistics every single year since he was drafted in 2017, he has some way or another gotten better and better and better. And then you look at this last season, you're thinking, man, how could he ever possibly improve upon 22 and a half sacks? I mean, is that realistic? And the answer is that's not really realistic. And then when you look at the numbers and you look at all the players that have had over 20 sacks, like, I don't know, since like 2000, very few have backed that up with a really good season. I think, I think his brother JJ was the best who had 15 sacks after a 20 sack season. But what are your expectations for how Watt can get better outside of the sack department? In other words, the sack numbers are probably going to dip. And I don't think anyone will be shocked by that, but there yeah. are ways that he can still improve and be even more dominant in other areas. What areas do you think those would be? I think it's going to be more so chemistry with his teammates. I, I think there's times where TJ Watt has kind of had to be Superman to keep the defense afloat. Um, but I, I think the biggest thing is you're going to see I, I, one. I think part of this is also going to be Devin Bush being a better linebacker this year and Miles Jack being a better option than Spillane or Schobert. And I think what you're going to see is those linebackers all kind of keying in off each other to be playmakers, to contain the run and kind of play off each other's strengths. And I think that's the next step for TJ Watt. There's always ways that he can get sharper on things. He can get a little bit, a little bit quicker here, a little bit sharper there, but he's done a lot of that, Jeff. Like, you know, this is a guy who, you know, I, I told you in the rookie camp when I was there first there watching him getting used to how he, he was losing out to Xavier Grimble and reps. And I was like, man, once this guy develops some pass rush moves, he's going to be tough. And then, you know, rookie year, he had some pass rush moves, but not a lot. Second year, good amount of pass rush move third year a lot of pass rush moves and now he just he does whatever he wants to do and i think it's just a matter of now he has the, he has that in his arsenal he's a good run defender i think he gets sharper against the run but also part of that is 
knowing how to play off each other, you know, gap to gap when he, when he, when he takes something away, knowing that this other guy is going to be coming behind him, there's a trust factor that has to be there. And that's something that the Steelers of the late two thousands had James Harrison knew if I go this way, Farrier or foot is coming in behind me to, to fill over there. And you see him working every day with Alex Highsmith. I mean, there's times I'm just walking past these guys and like, Practice is going on another they're doing a whole other thing. Like it's not even they're not even supposed to be doing anything right there. But you see them just hand fighting, like doing these drills. And they're like, it's like like mini karate and they're hot to ha ha. And they're catching each other like that. And I'm like, bam. And I like sometimes I'm like, dang, y'all, you get them. And Alex just looks at me, he's like, Yeah, it's tough. And he's trying to keep up with him. That's the kind of stuff that you that they're gonna see. He wants to get sharper, but he also wants to get his teammates sharper. And that's why I think it's gonna be great to have him for the next four or five years because he's not just gonna be a stellar playmaker. He wants to be a leader. He wants to be the guy that everyone that he that he leads everyone into battle. I think that's gonna be huge. I don't think it's gonna be huge to have Minka doing that alongside him. Yeah, for sure. Now, last question, real quick, before I sure. let you go. This Steelers defense, we know they're gonna have to be really, really good this year, just as the offense kind of finds their footing, especially in the early stages of the season. Do you think this group, as it is on paper right now, as we sit here at the end of June, are they good enough? Are they going to be dominant? Or is this going to be a group that is also going to have to get things going as the season progresses? How do you see that playing out? I think they're a top five defense at the end of the year, Jeff. I really think the the pass rushers are still going to be there. I think the run defense is going to be that much better because, like we said, they're going to be better prepared on the defensive front. I think Devin Bush looks a lot better than he did last year. Last year, we even talked to him. He didn't trust when he was cutting left and right. He just wasn't sure. Like he talked about, he's like, when I left my feet, I didn't trust myself and how I'd land and if I'd be okay when I landed. So imagine trying to operate in the highest level of your sport and these complex, you know, run fits and how you fit into this motion and how you got to take on this guy and this size and what he's good at. And before you can even start thinking about that, you're thinking about, man, am I going to be able to make this cut? Am I going to be explode into this position? Those were all things he had to worry about last year from what we saw and what we've heard from what he's told us. He feels a lot better in the department. And even Brian Flores was like, yeah, that guy's going to be special this year. So, um, yeah, I think that's going to be better. I think Miles Jack is going to be a major upgrade over what Schober had. And those two as two athletic linebackers that can go tackle to tackle and sideline to sideline. I think those are that, that's going to expand what this defense can do against the run. And when it runs a lot better. I think the cornerback room is better than people are, are giving it credit for. I still think it would help them if they had a proven CB1, like superstar corner at one spot. Uh, but they have all veterans. All their guys are, you know, guys with four or five years experience. Cam Sutton, he's been in the league, league, league for like, what, five or six years now. Uh, Akella Witherspoon, five or six years. Levi Wallace, five or six years. They're all in that, they're all in that range where like, hey, we're veterans. We know how to take on certain situations. This isn't Antoine Blake. This isn't Cortez Allen. This isn't Ross Cockle. Even though Ross Cockle, I thought was like one of the better ones of that of that, of that bunch. <laughs> but this was the you know, this this this, and this is not. Oh, we're just throwing anyone out there. They went and kept veterans to play the cornerback position, and all this leads up to if the run defense is working, if the pass rush is working, if the corners are solid. They don't have to be great, but if they're solid, then you get back to that Minka Fitzpatrick guy, and then more people are starting to look and say, how. How, like you know, how many times is how many more times is he going to get an opportunity to be the X factor, the game changer in this defense? I think that puts all the pieces together, and they are a top five unit by the end of the year. And you're going to see this team competing for the playoffs at the end of the season. I love it, man. I could talk to you for hours on end, but you know we got time frames. So why don't you tell everyone where they can find you on social media and stuff like that? 
You can find me, Chris Carter, at Carter Critiques on Twitter and Instagram. You can also listen to my show, the Locked On Steelers podcast, Monday through Friday, every day on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Odyssey, YouTube, anywhere podcasts are hosted. Just like you can listen to all the BTSC content that, that you do. You can uh, you can also read my work at SteelersNow.com where I'm breaking things down, writing things up. Got a lot of stories that we've, that we've been working on, getting you ready for training camp right now. So, yeah, check me out, y'all. It's the only other podcast I'll promote. All the other ones are trash outside of BTSC. So, all right, Chris, thanks for your time as always. Appreciate you. Thanks, Jeff. All right, big thank you to Chris Carter. I love it when he joins the show. I said this at the very end. I'll say it again. I could talk with Chris Carter on a podcast for three hours, and I feel like it would never get dull. It would never get stale. He and I have been doing podcasts together for a really long time, and although we don't do them regularly, every single time we get together in a podcast format – it is a lot of fun, and it's just it's a blast. So thank you to Chris Carter. Make sure you check him out on all those outlets that he talked about, especially the Locked On Steelers podcast. It's the only podcast I will promote outside of the BTSC network. All right, folks, that does it for me. On Tuesday, be on the lookout for the question for the mailbag segment. Follow me on Twitter at jhartman, H-A-R-T-M-A-N, underscore P-I-T. I will put out the question you ask. I will answer on the Wednesday show, so be on the lookout for that. Otherwise, I hope you have a great start to your week, and I will be back on Wednesday as we always finish it out here. Be safe, be kind, and God bless. Go Steelers. We'll see you Wednesday.